Welcome to the Mana Bible Lessons Podcast. Mana is a Bible study life group that meets at Valley Baptist Church in Bakersfield, California, every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. However, if you're listening from another part of the world, then we welcome you and we invite you to stay tuned after the lesson to hear how you can submit your prayer request to be on our prayer sheet. Thank you for joining us. And now here's Brad Hannock. Wonderful to see you all again. If you would turn to 2 Samuel 19, we'll go ahead and continue with the life of uh, David. We're going to stay in David for a few more weeks. The new uh, books, you're going to have the quarterlies come out here, and you'll see that we're going to be in Galatians and James. But Pastor Roger's doing a whole series in James, so we're not going to replicate that. So we'll probably spend the bulk of this month uh, for sure finishing up the life of David. So 2 Samuel 19 is where we are today. How many of you have ever seen the Lord of the Rings, the trilogy, Lord of the Rings? The third one was titled The Return of the King. And when the king returns and begins to rule and reign, obviously peace would occur. And this chapter, 2 Samuel 19, the word king occurs no fewer than 65 times. In one chapter, the word king occurs 65 times. The Holy Spirit is clearly making the point in this chapter, that in contrast to Absalom, which was Israel's choice for king, David is God's choice for king. By the way, if God repeats something to you 65 times, you would assume that it's important to him, right? Yeah, just just curious. That's always useful. So historically, Absalom's reign has failed. His revolt has failed. The civil war is over. Just to give you some context, Absalom's rebellion probably lasted about two weeks. He anointed himself king in Hebron, fought a war, lost forest of Ephraim. That was about two weeks long, 14 days or so, something of that nature, very short period of time. And God gave David the victory. So David is anointed by God himself as king. The nation of Israel now needs to repent and recognize that David is their king and anointed by God and not Absalom. The battle is over, but Israel needs to invite David to come back and rule and reign over them. If you would turn to 2 Samuel 19, and let's just go right to uh, chapter, uh, verse 8. And this kind of summarizes the change. We're going to open this chapter in verse 8, uh, the third part of that C. And it opens with the phrase, Now Israel had fled each to his tent, verse 9. All the people were quarreling throughout the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines, but now he has fled out of the land from Absalom. However, Absalom, who we appointed over us, is deader than Elvis. Now then, why are you silent about bringing the king back? Here's the principle. Did anybody hear what I just said? Okay, just make sure. Here's the principle. Everyone is following someone. Make sure you are following God and following leaders who are following God. Everyone is following someone. Make sure you are following God and following leaders who are following God. So following David's victory and Absalom's death, the rebels had dispersed and went back to their tents. Israel is really dispersed and they've all gone back to their home ground, so there's no more organized resistance. 
Big problem. There is a leadership vacuum in the land. Absalom declared himself king, and he is now dead. And David had fled east across the Jordan River out of the land to the city of Mahanaim. And remember, two, three weeks ago when we talked about this, they fought the civil war on the east side of, of the Jordan River. So right now, there's no king in the land. There's no king in the land. And so, just like when mom and dad are gone, the children begin to bicker, right, and fight and argue. That's exactly what's going on now. The, the nation of Israel are bickering and arguing about there is no king. How come the king's not back in the land? Somebody needs to do something about this. What it really boils down to is the nation says there's a problem, but somebody else besides me needs to fix it. Do you know anybody who thinks that way? We have a problem, but somebody besides me needs to deal with it because it's not my problem, but I think you should fix it. That's what's going on in Israel right now. So Israel acknowledged, you know, David has been an effective king. He has delivered us from our enemies. Their problem is God had chosen David as their king, but they rejected God's choice. Israel rejected God's choice, and they chose Absalom as their king. Now, the last time Israel chose their own king, who was it? Saul. How did that work? Didn't work out really well, did it? So the second king they chose for themselves was Absalom. How did that work? You see a pattern here? When God chooses your leaders, it tends to work pretty well. When you choose your own leaders, it doesn't tend to work out very well. Here's the real issue. When they had rejected God's choice as David as their king, who were they really rejecting? God himself. So Romans 13 tells us that all our leaders are appointed by God. And you're going to have to take that by faith. Because there are times when you look at the competency of the leaders and you go, uh, no, no. I have a pet who could do better than that. <laughs> Romans 13 says, submit to your leaders because God has them in the position he's put them in for his purposes. Well, David was a man after God's own heart. God clearly anointed him as king. Israel had rejected him. Absalom is dead. David is out of the land. And Israel says, we need to bring David back into the land, but there's a big problem. How do we approach David about coming back to rule over us when we rejected him and tried to kill him? That could be a problem, right? He might decide to punish us out of retribution for their rebellion. But David takes the initiative to reconcile their broken relationships. Verse 11. Then King David sent to Zadok and Abiath other priests, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, why are you the last to bring the king back to his house? Since the word of all Israel has come to the king, even to his house. You are my brothers. You are my bone and my flesh. David, of course, was from the tribe of Judah. So these were his family. Why then should you be the last to bring back the king? Say to Amasa, are you not my bone and my flesh? May God do to me and more also, if you will not be commander of the army before me continually, in place of Joab, verse 14. Thus David turned the hearts of all the men of Judah as one man, so that they sent word to the king, saying, Return you and all your servants. The king then returned and came as far as the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal in order to go meet the king, 
and bring the king across the Jordan. Here's the principle. Like David, we should take the initiative to reconcile broken relationships. Like David, we, we, I, should take the initiative to reconcile broken relationships. Up until this point, people have been saying, we have a problem, you need to do something about it. David takes the initiative to reconcile the broken relationships. See, he knows that a leadership vacuum is a very dangerous thing for any nation, any corporation, any city. If there's no leadership, bad things occur. Matter of fact, David's failure to discipline and restore Absalom was probably the catalyst that led to Absalom's rebellion in the Civil War. Now, the reality is David could have just marched across the Jordan. He's got an army. He says, we're going to march across the Jordan, and I'm taking over. But he wants Israel to want him back. He wants the nation to invite him back to lead. And of course, in a democracy, we look and we say, well, in a democracy, nobody gets to lead unless you are elected by the choice of the people. But in a monarchy, historically, most monarchies are ruled with limited regard for the rights of individual citizens. What history teaches us is that over time, if leaders refuse to respond to the needs of their followers, they get replaced one way or another. In Russia, there is a saying that under the Tsars, their form of government was absolutism tempered by assassination. In the Roman Empire, less than one-third of their emperors died of natural causes. About 70, 71 emperors, 20 of them died of natural causes. Many of them were bumped off, swam with the fishes, just disappeared, were terminated with extreme prejudice, or just did themselves in. There was eight suicides out of that group. But this is not how David thought, and this is not how David behaved. David has just experienced national rejection. Like Jesus, the nation of Israel rejected him, and they went to war with him. They tried to kill him. He wants the nation to repent and request for him to come and rule. He's acting just like Jesus. Jesus is king of the universe, and he could simply impose his rule on planet Earth right now. Could he not? Now, someday he's going to come back and impose his rule on planet Earth. But right now, he chooses for people to want him to rule and reign in their life. He wants us to choose to follow him out of love and not force. And that's exactly how David is responding. And that's pretty good application for us to do as well, as opposed to imposing our will to invite people to participate in that. See, David knows he needs to reunify the nation, so he initiates reconciliation. He takes the initiative to reconcile these broken relationships, especially with the tribe of Judah. And he asks the priests, the high priests, Zadok and Abiathar, he asks them to intervene. He asks them to be the go-between, if you will, uh, to arbitrate, if you will, between him and the tribe of Judah. In, in essence, David says, look, the 10 northern tribes have already asked me to come back, but you're my family. You're my brothers and sisters, and you have not asked me to come back. Are you going to be the last ones to ask the king to come back? How come? Of course, the 10 northern tribes have already asked him. That might have created some jealousy in Judah, the two tribes. And David also uses this opportunity to fire Joab as his commander-in-chief. Now, why would he want to fire Joab? 
Joab killed who? Joab killed the king's son. Do you think that might be a cause for termination of position? Probably. Someone killed your son, you probably wouldn't keep them as your commanding officer. So he's going to replace Amasa. He's going to replace Job with Amasa. Amasa is from the tribe of Judah, which is going to encourage Judah to say, okay, now your commander-in-chief is one of your own tribes person at that point in time. So he wants to terminate Joab as commander in punishment, and he also wants to draw Judah into requesting him to come back. So he appoints Amasa, one of their own tribes member, as his new commander-in-chief. We're going to show you a map of Gilgal. The whole tribe of Judah comes out and they show up at Gilgal just north of Jerusalem at the Jordan River, right next to the Jordan River, and they're going to help David cross the Jordan River. So David is actually going to retrace his steps from the east side of the Jordan in Mahanaim across the Jordan down to Gilgal and back into Jerusalem. That's what he's doing at this point in time. But this town, this city, this village, this area of Gilgal is very important in the life of Israel. Remember when Israel first crossed the Jordan River under Joshua, 400 years before, Gilgal was the exact location where they recommitted themselves, they reconsecrated themselves, they rededicated themselves to following Yahweh. When they first crossed the Jordan River in the New Land, this was a very, very spiritually significant spot and this is the place where David is going to reconcile with the nation of Judah. And of course, not to be outdone by the other tribes, the tribe of Benjamin shows up as well, which is interesting because that's what Saul's tribes was. Go to verse 16. We're going to meet a couple of characters in this section. Then Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite who was from Baharnam, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, with Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his 15 sons and his 20 servants, and they rushed to the Jordan before the king. They kept crossing the ford to bring over the king's household and to do whatever was good in his sight. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan. So he said to the king, Let not my lord consider me guilty, nor remember what your servant did wrong on the day when my lord the king came out from Jerusalem so that the king would take it to heart. You remember what he did? What did he do when David was leaving Jerusalem? Cursed him, insulted him, called him all sorts of family names, threw rocks at him, right? I mean, he was pretty, pretty out of control here. For your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I come today, the first of all the house of Joseph, to go down to meet the Lord my king. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, said, Should not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? David said, What do I have to do with you, O sons of Zeruiah, that you should this day be an adversary to me? Should any man be put to death in Israel today? For do I not know that I am king over Israel today? The king said to Shimei, You shall not die. Thus the king swore to him. Here's the principle. Forgiveness is essential, but it's very expensive. The price of forgiveness is personal pain, but the benefits include restored relationships. Forgiveness is essential, but boy howdy, it ain't cheap, amen? Very expensive. Now, as you recall, less than two weeks before, David was fleeing from Absalom for his life, and Shimei was from the tribe of Benjamin, Saul's tribe, 
and he's the one who cursed David, threw dust and rocks on him. At that point in time, Shimei was pretty certain that not only was David's reign over, his life was going to be over as well. So cursing him seemed to be a fairly safe proposition. David's on the way out of town. He's going to die, so I'm going to tell him how I really feel, right? Have you ever noticed that telling people how you really feel is not always a good idea? Because what you're really feeling may not be worth saying most of the time. Shimei is kind of like the guy who's Conan the Barbarian on social media. How many of you know really brave people on social media? I mean, if there's a, a thousand miles in an electronic medium between you, they are so brave. I mean, they're large and in charge. And then you meet them face to face, and they're Casper Milktoast, right? When there's actually personal accountability eyeball to eyeball, that, that's Shimei. Now, Shimei, when he sees David, he has a sudden case of insight as to how fragile his life really is, because David's a warrior king, and he's armed, and he's dangerous, and Absalom is dead. Shimei needs to reconcile with David right now, or he might wind up like Absalom. So he comes with a little help from his friends. He brings a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and they lay a bridge of boats, a pontoon bridge, across the Jordan River, and they're ferrying the king over and all his household and all the warriors and all the etc., etc. So there's several thousand people to get across the Jordan River. So they get a little pontoon bridge there, and they're busy ferrying them over. They're literally falling over themselves to help David, to do whatever David wants done, because they really got to suck up, right? They got to make up for lost time here. So Shimei, he falls down in front of David in an attitude of submission, and he begs for forgiveness. He asks David to forgive and forget this capital crime of cursing the king. Now, we know he's remorseful. What we don't know is, is he repentant? The difference is remorse is being sorry you got caught, right? Not necessarily sorry for what you did. Repentance is being convicted that what you did was really wrong in God's sight and that you now thoroughly hate and reject your former behavior. So our old friends, brothers, Joab and Abishai, Joab is the general, Abishai is one of David's top commanders, they remind the king that Shimei has committed a capital crime and he really needs to be put to death because he cursed the king two weeks before. That is true. Exodus 22 commands, you shall not curse God nor curse a ruler of your people. But Abishai and Joab are missing the point. Joab had murdered General Abner in peacetime. Joab has just murdered the king's son, Absalom, within a week. Probably seven days ago. Abishai just didn't curse a ruler of Israel. Abishai tried to assassinate King Saul several years ago, and David told him, you're not going to do that, right? Just days ago, Abishai had asked David's permission to cut Shimei's head off for cussing out the king. I mean, if think about it. If any time someone criticized or cusses the president and you cut their head off, we'd have a lot of headless people walking around. Maybe that's the problem. Nobody's using their head. Literally. So... Joab and Abishai have been given grace by David. 
If David wanted to impose capital punishment on either one of them, he had legitimate rights to do it because they had broken the law. They had committed murder. But he gave them grace. Now they want the letter of the law applied to Shimei, but not themselves. Isn't that human behavior? How many of you want other people to live according to a law you're not willing to live according to? This is Brad Hannock. I want everybody to obey the speed limit except me. That's literally true. I mean, they should slow down so I can speed up. They should keep the law so I can break it. That's really true. I'm just being transparent with you. So the pot is calling the kettle black here, and it, what it really reminds us of is Jesus' parable of the unmerciful steward. Jesus tells a story. He says, this servant owed a king, and he owed him millions and millions and millions, billions of dollars in debt, and he could never repay it. He begs for mercy, and the king does what? Forgives him the whole thing. Every penny wiped out forgiven. So this unmerciful servant goes and finds one of his fellow servants who owes him 20 bucks. And he says, pay up, or I'm going to throw you in debtor's prison. And the, steward, and the servant says, give me time, give me time. I'll find the 20 bucks. I'll go borrow it from my mother-in-law, whatever, but I'll give you the money. And the unmerciful steward, he refuses to forgive him, throws him in debtor's prison, throws away the key. And the king finds out, he calls in the unmerciful steward, and he says, how could you not forgive your fellow servant 20 bucks when I forgave you 20 billion bucks? I'm going to throw you in prison the rest of your life and subject you to torture, right? So the principle is, Jesus says, if you don't forgive your brother or sister from your heart, God will not forgive you. Because if you've been truly forgiven by God, you will have a heart that is willing to forgive. I didn't say it was easy. I didn't say you wanted to. I said you are willing to. All of us have been sinned against, correct? Correct? All of us have sinned against others, correct? The only solution for that is forgiveness. We violate both of those terms. The notion here is, is that truly forgiven people by God will extend forgiveness to others. If you're unwilling to forgive, we need to go back and say, have I experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ? Because once you look at your own sins in the mirror and you say, how evil and wicked my own sin is, then other people's sin is like, well, that's nothing compared to what Jesus forgave me for. So now I'm willing to forgive others. David has experienced God's forgiveness. And so he's extending forgiveness to Shimei. If anybody deserved to die, it was David. What had David done that's deserving of death? Well, adultery, number one, that was a capital crime. Murdering Uriah, that would be a capital crime. So David deserved to die multiple times, right? But God had forgiven him. And David knew that since he had been forgiven, he should extend forgiveness. Matter of fact, forgiveness was essential to David regaining the throne. He'd only received the throne in the first place because of God's grace. And he understands the only way he's going to regain the throne is also because of God's forgiveness. Therefore, who is he to refuse to forgive another? So he extends forgiveness to Shimei, even though Shimei cussed him out. 
It's got some interesting practical implications. If David forgives Shimei, who's of the tribe of Benjamin, what do you think the tribe of Benjamin's going to do? They'll probably follow David. Yeah, that's a smart idea. I think forgiveness has benefits, lots of benefits. So David tells his nephews, Joab and Abishai, pipe it down. This is a day of grace. This is not a day of legalism or retribution. You guys want paybacks? Paybacks are petty. Forget about it. He tells them, go away. And of course, we are sinners who need forgiveness, and we sin against God every day, and we need God's forgiveness every day. And we sin against others, and we need their forgiveness every day. And others sin against us. How often do people sin against you? Every day? Yes? If they haven't done it today, it's not over yet. Just wait. <laughs> Some will happen this afternoon. Someone's going to break your heart again. So the only way we can maintain healthy relationships is ongoing forgiveness. Ongoing forgiveness. Verse 24. Then Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and he had neither cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came home in peace. It was when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? In other words, why did you stay in Jerusalem? Why didn't you leave town and with me? So Mephibosheth answered, O my lord the king, my servant Ziba deceived me, for your servant said... Me, Mephibosheth said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king because your servant is lame. He was a cripple. Moreover, Ziba has slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like an angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your sight. Verse 29, so the king said to him, why do you still speak of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. Mephibosheth said to the king, let him even take it all since my Lord the King has come safely to his own house. Here's the principle. No earthly treasure is more valuable than your relationship with Jesus Christ. No earthly treasure is more valuable than your relationship with Jesus Christ. So Shimei and Mephibosheth are both of the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of King Saul. And of course, most of this tribe had opposed David taking the throne because he was from the tribe of Judah and they wanted Saul's family to remain in power because Saul was a big believer in political handouts. He gave a lot of goodies to his own tribe and Benjamin, of course, wanted that to continue. Remember, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Ziba coming to the king across the Jordan and he had all these donkeys filled with all kinds of provisions and good stuff and food, etc., etc. And he said, I'm giving you all this to the king. And when David had asked Ziba, well, where's your master Mephibosheth? He said, well, Mephibosheth says that today Israel's going to restore the king to the house of Saul. And since I'm the grandson of Saul, they're going to make me king in David's place. Hmm. Seems that Ziba had deceived David about Mephibosheth's loyalty. He said, Ziba had told David, they're going to restore the kingdom to, Mephibosheth thinks they're going to give him the kingdom. And of course, that's simply not credible. Mephibosheth was a cripple. He was lame. He wasn't a warrior king. He wasn't going to lead an army into battle. And number two, at that point in time, Israel wasn't going to give the throne to Mephibosheth. They were following Absalom. And Absalom would have just had Mephibosheth disappeared if he got in the way. 
So Ziba's obviously lying, had obviously lied to David about Mephibosheth's loyalty. And that's why David said to him, why didn't you come with me, Mephibosheth? And Mephibosheth says, well, I didn't have a donkey to go on because Ziba took the darn thing, right? Now, when Mephibosheth came to the Jordan River, he was a mess. He hadn't trimmed his toenails. He hadn't trimmed his beard. He hadn't washed his clothes. Those were all signs in that culture of grief. He was ritually unclean. He hadn't trimmed his mustache, washed his clothes. So he was mourning David's um, uh, exile, and he was demonstrating loyalty to David. We don't know whether, whether Ziba had stolen the donkey that Mephibosheth was going to take and follow David with. I read a couple of commentators that actually believed that those donkeys with all the uh, foodstuffs that were going to David were put together by Mephibosheth and Ziba stole the donkeys and brought them out there and said, these are from me. Don't know if that's true or not, but at any rate, an interesting conjecture. But Mephibosheth has come under David's covenant of peace because of Jonathan, David's best friend, and Mephibosheth has gotten word that David has slandered him and now he wants to set the record straight. David doesn't know who to believe. So he just splits it halfway. He says, all of Saul's estates, Ziba, you get half. Mephibosheth, you get half. Interesting. What does Mephibosheth say? He can have it all. All I care about is that the king is back in the land. The king is back on the throne. We don't know if David later figured out the truth, but... Mephibosheth has got it figured out. Mephibosheth understands that living in the presence of the king is all the good that he desires. And that's an interesting application for us. There's an old hymn tune that says, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Because when you have Jesus, you have everything. You have God himself living inside you. Have you ever thought about what your life would be like if the Holy Spirit left, decided to take a vacation like I did? If the Holy Spirit left your life for two weeks, what would your life be like? It would be a bigger mess than it is now, right? Because we, we tend not to listen even when he's present. But the good news is, is you can't lose him. He never gets lost, and he's a permanent indwelling into your life. When he came at Pentecost, Jesus said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, and that's because the Holy Spirit lives inside us, guiding and protecting and directing and, and every step of the way, leading us and empowering us. You're going to see the Holy Spirit do things in your life this week that you will not understand until you get home to heaven. Most of the work the Holy Spirit does in your life is invisible. You won't see it, but it's there because he's there. There's nothing here on earth that even comes close to knowing God personally through Jesus Christ. Mephibosheth gets that. His priority is in the right spot. He doesn't care about the stuff. He cares about his relationship to the king, and that should be our focus as well. Verse 31. Now Barzillai the Gileadite had come down from Rogalim, and he went on to the Jordan with the king to escort him over the Jordan. Now Barzillai was very old. Eighty years old ain't old. Just saying. 
And he had sustained the king while he stayed at Mahanaim, for he was a very great man. The king said to Barzillai, you cross over with me and I will sustain you in Jerusalem with me. In other words, you've taken care of me on the east side of the Jordan. Come on back, I'll take care of you now that I'm king again in Jerusalem. Barzillai said to the king, how long have I yet to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am now 80 years old. Can I now distinguish between good and bad? Or can your servant taste what I eat or drink? He must have been on medication that kind of killed the taste of stuff. You know, they didn't, maybe they didn't have a lot of spices back then. You know, I'm at the point in time where I need spice so I can taste stuff because the taste buds die first, I'm told. Or can I hear anymore the voices of singing men and women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my Lord the King? Please let your servant return that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. Verse 39. All the people crossed over the Jordan and the king crossed too. The king then kissed Barzillai and blessed him and returned to his place. Here's the principle. Use whatever you have to serve your king today and you won't have regrets tomorrow. Use whatever you have to serve your king today and you won't have regrets tomorrow. Now, Barzillai is 80 years old. He's loyal, he's wealthy, and he's generous. Quite a combination. You know, you don't automatically get better just because you get older. Right? Can we all say that? We know people that uh, are not getting better as they get older, they're getting worse. It's easy to become more self-centered as we age. It is terribly easy to become more self-centered as we age. Barzillai understood that wealth itself was not the end. Wealth is means to an end. Back in the day, they used to call wealthy people what? Men of means. Men of means. Wealth being a means to an end. Means they had surplus capacity that they could use to make things happen. And Barzillai and two other folks have supported David and his army, probably three, 4,000 people, for a couple of weeks on the east side of the Jordan and when they were fleeing from Absalom. And that required a lot of military kind of logistics. Can you imagine feeding 3,000 people two or three times a day? That's a big barbecue you got to set up, right? So there's a lot of stuff going on. And Barzillai served and sacrificed his king. And you know what's the most important thing about it? He never whined about it. Do you know people that serve, but they whine about it? They want you to know what a sacrifice they're making to bake this pie for the bingo group. I mean, such a sacrifice making this pie, right? Barzillai served, but he wasn't a whiner. He did it with joy. He counted it a privilege to serve and give to his king. So he lives about 25 miles north of Mahanaim. He comes down the 25 miles in his BMW. He meets David at Mahanaim. Then, then he walks another you know, 25 miles or so with David to the Jordan River. So when you're 80 years old, it's about a 50-mile walk. I mean, you don't see that. When you look at the map, it's about a 50-mile walk, and he's 80. And he cares enough about his king to walk 50 miles with him to escort him back. How many of you have ever walked 50 miles to see someone you cared about, even when you're dating? Huh? 50 miles? Walk? I don't love her that much, Brad. David says, you've taken care of me. Let me take care of you. 
Barzillai says, you know something? I am too old to put up with the pleasures of palace life. Here's what I really want to do. I like my own bed. I want to sleep in my own bed. I want to die in my own house. I'm content with my current life. I don't need to be elected and go to Sacramento or Washington, D.C. to feel important. I'm okay where I am right now because that's where God has me to serve. Barzillai is at a stage of life where he's content and he's blooming where God's planted him today. And I think that's a phenomenal lesson. Many of you in this room are doing exactly what God is calling you to do right now. You're faithful. You're being obedient to what God has called you to do. And we go, well, God hasn't called me to do anything glamorous. No. Dying on the cross wasn't really glamorous either. But he did call us to do what? To be a servant. Because even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So we are like our master. We are servants. And he has called you to serve And many, 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 many of you in this room are so faithful. You really are faithful. And I want to encourage you to continue that because it's not glamorous. And sometimes when you're serving, you go, nobody knows. Well, the king knows. When you serve the king with joy and obedience, God keeps track. And great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward in heaven. Barzillai is a good example for us. He he lived well and he's ready to die well. And I want you to notice the relationships that David has with these groups of people. There's four groups of people in this chapter that David's got a relationship with. Number one is the Israelites, the nation at large. He's got a broken relationship with them because they rejected him, rebelled against him, tried to kill him, right? David initiated reconciliation with them. Application. If there's anybody in your life that has sinned against you, who's responsible to initiate reconciliation? You are. I am. Don't live with a broken relationship if it's in your power to reconcile it. Don't say, if they were really sorry, they'd come and beg. And then I might, I might, if I'm feeling really magnanimous, I might forgive those schmucks. No, initiate the relationship, whether or not they accept it, whether or not you can reconcile. Matthew 18 says, if you have ought against your brother, you go to your brother or sister one-to-one and reconcile it. So David initiated reconciliation with, with a nation. Now Shimei cussed him out publicly, and Shimei is the one who comes back and says, will you forgive me? I have sinned against you, and... I can't face you with joy. I face you with fear because I have a death penalty coming. I've broken the law and I know that. Shimei deserved to die. And what did David do? Forgave him. And he forgave him because God had forgiven him. And we are obligated and called to do the same thing. By the way, forgiveness has personal pain. I know that. But carrying a grudge is a much more expensive proposition. How many of you tried carrying a grudge? I call, I, I'm good at carrying grudges, right? 
When I was younger, I was a master at it. The problem is it eats stomach lining. It really eats a lot of stomach lining. And it really colors the perception because you're really self-righteous when you carry grudges. I am so much better than those evil, wicked people, blah, blah, blah. That, that, that's a big burden to carry around because you look in the mirror, you go, I ain't that good, All right? So forgiveness frees you and releases them. So Zeba, he had to be pretty afraid. He had lied to David's face and slandered a lame man, Mephibosheth. He slandered a lame man who happened to be the son of the king's best friend, Jonathan. That would put him in a pretty precarious situation, right? The day of accounting was now, and what did David do? David forgave him and gave him half of Saul's estate. That's grace. Phenomenal grace. Mephibosheth, he had to explain why he did not follow his king. It's interesting that when you see King Jesus face to face, there will be no excuses and there'll be no explanations and there'll be no rationalizations. Jesus Christ will not have to ask you and I why we did or did not follow him. Will he? Because he already knows why we are following or why we're not following. Here's the principle. Live like Barzillai. Live like Barzillai. He didn't know when David was coming. He didn't know how long David was staying. I mean, when David showed up on the east side of the Jordan, David came with vast needs. He had 3,000 people or so that needed to be fed. He didn't know how long he was going to stay, and he didn't know what he would need when he arrived. But Barzillai did whatever he could with whatever he had whenever his king needed it. That's a pretty good example for us. You know, the application here is pretty clear. Keep really short accounts with God. If there's any area of your life you've walked away from God or you're not willing to let Him deal with, turn around, ask forgiveness, and walk back to Jesus. Serve your king today because you may not give tomorrow. Don't say, when I have more time, when I have more money, when I have more opportunity, when I retire, when my health improves, when I get through this, then I'll serve my king. No, you won't. It is a great privilege to serve the king of kings. There is nothing in life that is more important or more satisfying or more fulfilling than serving your king. Is there? What else in life is tempting you and I away from the greatest joy of all? If you want joy in your life, number one, surrender your life to Jesus as your savior and then serve him as your king and your bucket will overflow. Don't miss out on that. You don't want to spend your whole life designing and building these elaborate, beautiful sandcastles on the beach. What's the problem with that? Twice a day, what happens? The tide comes in and what? And you know something? No one even remembers that beautiful 10-foot high sandcastle you spent three hours on because the tide just we know people who are spending their whole life investing here. Everything's here. If that's true, death is the tide of life that's going to wash it all away. Barzilli, I understood. Invest your time, your talents, your treasures in knowing, loving, and serving the King of Kings. 
That way you can live with contentment and die without fear. So let's review and then we'll have a couple minutes for questions and then Tom will come up and lead us in our prayer and praise. Principle one, everyone is following someone. And don't tell me you're not following. We are all following. It's a question of who we're following. Make sure that you're following God and following leaders who are following God. Number two, like David, we should take the initiative to reconcile broken relationships in our life. Number three, forgiveness is essential, but it is expensive. The price of forgiveness is personal pain, but the benefits include restored relationships. By the way, there's a lot more benefits than that. Forgiveness is really good for your blood pressure. Forgiveness is really good for your temper. Forgiveness makes you a lot nicer. And we all could use a little dose of that, especially me. Number four, no earthly treasure is more valuable than your relationship with your King Jesus. And lastly, use whatever you have to serve your King today and you won't have regrets tomorrow. Now that you know, do. Love you guys. See you next week. Manna meets at Valley Baptist Church at 4800 Fruitvale Avenue in Bakersfield, California every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. in the choir room. We would love for you to join us. Here at Manna, we believe in doing life together. So if you're in need of prayer, submit your request to Podcast at gmail.com and our class will be happy to pray for you. Thank you for joining us today. And now that you know, do.